0: Slash Awards only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
2: Grill, patio, sunset—hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in.
1: Oh, burger
2: time! So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under twenty thousand dollars just waiting for you.
1: I could stay here forever.
2: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
0: Hey there, podcast listeners. I'd like to tell you about another USG Audio podcast. It's called Do You Know Mordechai? And it's basically one of the craziest dating stories. And well, that's where it all starts. The series is out now and you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. But here is episode one.
3: <clears throat> Are you recording now? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so tell me about this person that you met. So yeah, it was April around mid-April of 2019. We yeah. connected through OKCupid. Okay um, his profile picture—he looked really cute and youthful. It said he was 37. So we started chatting, and at the time, he told me he told me his name was Mordecai Dovebear. Horowitz or Goldstein Horowitz hyphenated. Um What do you mean he or Goldstein Horowitz? He said he went by either.
2: And there was a reason or just
3: I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know what to ask a person when they tell you something like that. But that's exactly what we're going to ask.
2: That and a lot more. Because in 2019 A friend of mine fell for a sensitive millionaire named Mordecai. And then she found out she wasn't the only one. It was way too good to be true. I'm Kathleen Goldhar, and I'm going to tell you one crazy ass story. This is Do You Know Mordecai? After one, a knock on the door. I'm not going to (laughs) sing. Happy (laughs) birthday! Thank you. I (laughs) made this just for you.
3: You You did.
2: But I left them at home, so I just cut you a piece. Oh all (laughs) I need. Thank you.
3: I guess I have to blow it out. Yeah.
2: I'm at my friend Aria's house. It's a quaint, semi-detached home filled with her daughter's toys and artwork. Okay. Make a wish. Happy birthday. Thank you. (laughs) How are you? Good. Come in. She lives in the east end of Toronto, and so do I. We're about a 10-minute drive from each other. It's a Guinness cake. Oh, I know. Love it. Also, Aria, it's not her real name. I promised her that I'd keep her identity secret because she's worried about the impact this podcast could have on her life. Do you want me to talk about that, like meeting him? We're sitting around Aria's dining room table. My son entertaining her daughter in the living room. I
1: can, hear, I can hear everything, everything in this
2: house. And something occurs to me as we get set up. The chairs around her dining room table are my old dining room chairs. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, I just forgot all of it. I just like these look familiar. I'm like, oh,
3: yeah, these are my heads. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, the layers. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow that makes me emotional. (laughs) (laughs) So
2: I bet you're wondering why my chairs are making Aria cry. You see, they used to be in my house when I lived with my first husband, who is actually Aria's first husband, too. I guess he got them when we split up, and then she got them when they split up.
3: Do you remember the first time you met me? I don't remember the first time. I'm trying to think what the context would have been. Probably a child's birthday, or a dance recital, or a, something like that. I'm not sure I remember
2: the exact first time I met you, either. I think my mom met you before I met you. And my mom was like, oh, she seems lovely. And then, of course, she's like, and she's Jewish. So of course, we like had a good laugh about right. that. Just so it's clear, I'm Jewish too. And my waspy ex-husband, he found my very Jewish family somewhat overwhelming at times. So thinking that he was marrying another Jew, well, we kind of found that funny. I do remember,
3: actually, it was my birthday 10 years ago.
2: I actually don't remember meeting Aria on her birthday, but I remember being happy about her because my ex-husband was happy. My ex and I didn't have one of those good divorces. You know, the ones I mean. The ones you say you're going to have when you first split up. We didn't come out the other end friends. And I wasn't friends with Aria initially either. But my kids, they loved her.
3: Right from the beginning. I remember when he and I got engaged, um, that you sent me a lovely text message. Mm. And you said... I'm so glad you're going to be my kid's stepmom. Mm. So that was very meaningful. I am a very nice person. <laughs> <laughs> you, are, you are a very nice person, and you're...
2: <laughs> well, not always, at least not when compared to Aria. Aria is one of the nicest, most earnest people I know. She goes to protests, and she believes she can change the world. That is not me. I've been a journalist for more than 20 years, and I'm kind of cynical. Aria is patient. When I'm ready to jump down somebody's throat and move on, Aria spends time trying to see the good in them. Aria and our ex, they had a very traditional Jewish wedding. And my son and daughter were very involved. They were their father's best people. They stood under the chuppah with him. And my daughter made a speech. Aria and my ex bought a house close to mine, and within a few years, she got pregnant. I have to admit, that did feel like a little bit of a kick in the gut. But that feeling didn't last long. I do have this weird modern family connection to this little girl, and I've always felt that way about her. I always felt like I was like an aunt, and it's quite lovely. For a few years, we slipped into a comfortable routine. My kids spent a few nights a week at their house, and they were happy. I would communicate with Aria, mainly through texts and emails. But mostly, I dealt with my ex. Their marriage seemed good. It seemed to work. Until it didn't.
3: I was trying to find the email, if it was an email, and I don't... I think it was a text, because I have a clear memory of when the couch was here, sitting here texting with you for a long time. And feeling really grateful.
2: I had reached out when I heard he and Aria were splitting up.
3: And also, I mean... At the beginning, feeling like, I mean, I didn't know if I could trust you.
2: Eventually, they broke up. And then we shared an ex-husband. Today, Aria is like family. I mean, really like family. She spends special dinners at my parents' house. She and her daughter were guests of honor at my second wedding. And sometimes her daughter even sleeps over at our house. I hated getting up early with my kids, they were whiny and picky about the food that I made. Now, when her daughter sleeps over, I go to bed excited that I'll have a few early morning hours with her the next day. Some nights when Aria's daughter would sleep over, Aria would go on dates. I was so happy that she was out there trying to find someone again.
3: <laughs> and, and I remember early on, you like I would ask you things like, like, how do you date with a small child? Like, how do you have the energy? And like you would give me You're like, you can do it, and it's fine, and, you know, I don't know. Like, there was just a lot of just because you'd literally been through it. Yeah.
2: After my divorce, I spent years dating online. Lots of duds. But I also met my second husband online. I offered hope that all the work of dating online was worth it. Hearing Aria talk about her experience, it brought back all the good and the bad.
3: Oh, gosh. I mean, contending with people who had been through divorces that they hadn't processed yet like years later that they would still talk very badly about their ex-wives you know the mothers of their children like how they would still have so much bitterness lots of those and then also like contending with different schedules like guys who had kids too and then you'd realize within you know a few exchanges that you just would never get to see each other like you sound amazing but you live in a different neighborhood and we have opposite schedules What else? I don't know. I mean, there's all sorts out there. People who lie about, you know, you show up to meet them and they don't look anything like their picture because it's from 10 years ago. Um, Men who are uncomfortable with my education, you know? Like, I have a doctorate now. I was pursuing a doctorate. But then along came Mordecai. Yeah. So that was about two and a half years out of my marriage... And he was the first person in a long, well, I guess in all of my dating that I felt not only connected with, like we had a good personality connection and amazing conversations. And I felt connected to him before I even met him. Like we'd had phone calls and text exchange, like myriad text exchanges. And I was like, wow, like no matter what it's like when we meet, I just, I really like this person. Yeah, rancher, bees, goats, artist, a, a dad, a loving dad, um, uh, what else? Jewish. Oh yeah, Jew, yeah, I forgot
2: that part. <laughs> Jewish. Aria told me about Mordecai pretty soon after they first connected. And when I first heard about him, I was like, wow, he seems amazing. I mean, he lived part-time in Toronto and the other half in California,
3: sunny California. He told me that he owned a ranch in Shadow Hills, California, outside of L.A.
2: His land was apparently a bit of a commune, and all his close friends and family lived and worked together. His parents were wealthy Holocaust survivors who lived in New York City. He was an artist, and he told her that he was related to Adam Horowitz. Adam Horowitz of the Beastie Boys. I mean come on. And Mordecai was a singer, or he fancied himself one anyway. The book of love is long and boring. No one can lift the damn thing. He was also a single dad, a widower. In fact, his story was pretty tragic.
3: He told me that his wife had died of pancreatic cancer. His son was, like I said, second year of Caltech physics. I was interested in his art. Um, he seemed very social justice oriented, very like kind of off the grid. and, and It was time to get offline and meet in person.
1: Crossing the river.
2: These are the actual texts between Aria and Mordecai. He's taking the subway east, and he's texting her along the way.
1: There's a quote on that bridge. This river I step in is not the same river I stand in.
2: This is not the real Mordecai speaking, but these are his
1: words. That park I'm passing is a good view of the city. Dude, I live here,
3: lol. But thanks, through your lens. Ha,
1: I'm still a tourist. I'll be outside to the right. Stand by for a 3D me.
3: So when we met, I was sitting outside the subway station on a boulder waiting for him to come out. And he came out and I had this moment like he doesn't look like I thought. Um... He was heavier than I expected him to be, especially for someone who was claiming to be, like, goat ranching and, like, walking around all day on the ranch and, like, dealing with stuff. And in his profile, he had said he was average, but he wasn't average. He was overweight. On first meeting,
2: Aria thought to herself, here we go again, another guy who lies about what he looks like. But remember those kind instincts I told you Aria possesses? Well, they kicked in. Aria forced herself to think I'm interested in this person as a person. Who cares if he's 30 pounds heavier than he said he was? Looks don't matter.
3: We just went for a walk. We grabbed a cup of tea. I remember he presented as being quite nervous. Um, So I had like this instinct to like reach out and hold his hand and like try and make him feel better. And that seemed to help. And. I think it was on that very first date actually that, um, we were, we'd gone for the walk and we're walking back around towards the station and there was sort of an old looking mirror that was leaning against a telephone pole. And he actually picked it up and held it in front of us and was like, this is what we look like together. And it was like probably one of the most romantic gestures I've, I'd ever experienced. Um, and I thought, okay, you know what? He doesn't look like what I thought he would, but I really like him. And I thought, okay, I want to see him again. I want to see, uh, see where it goes romantically. Weird. Like, it wasn't that long. Like, maybe it was a month, but it felt like a really intense relationship, a really intense connection. Um, at- it was your first real connection after your marriage. Yeah, it definitely was. And gave me it gave me a lot of hope for having a real connection again. I feel like from the get go we were just being really open and honest. And I I definitely think I told like I told him on the phone before we met. You know, uh, I have a really like I have trauma in my in my past around like uh, you know a marriage that went badly.
1: <laughs> we have so much to say and share. It's hard to keep up. LOL, such a problem to have. I've met my match with sharing. I like it. Normally I'm the talkative one and I overshare. Wait, are you saying I overshared? No, you haven't. I'm not sure there is such a thing. I'm still cautious. I
3: have trust issues, but I'm enjoying getting to know you this way. For now.
1: Did your ex have trouble being honest?
3: He did. In many ways, for someone like me, who is an open book and loyal as hell, it was heartbreaking.
1: I've lied in my life, but it's not an issue, and I get caught every time. I think we're similar re-open book, etc.
2: Arya told Mordecai that because of those trust issues, she'd be asking a
3: lot of questions. I'm gonna be double-checking double checking and triple-checking things you tell me, and he was like, he said, that's okay, I'm okay with that, you do whatever you need to do, and I'll be right there with you. Mordecai and Arya would go
2: out for long walks. They'd cook at her place when her daughter wasn't home. But even when they weren't physically together, Arya felt connected to him.
3: He was constantly available online and would do things like, I mean, send pictures of the drawings he was doing. He would send links to YouTube videos that were songs that he loved, often romantic songs, or This Made Me Think of You.
2: Mordecai had come from California to Toronto to help a friend who had an art school.
3: The friend would pay him to teach classes, but also to paint. He had told me he was here in Canada, in Toronto, because his friend was a very wealthy philanthropist. I almost said philanderer. (laughs) Philanthropist who had this disposable money. He he, He was a patron of the arts. He'd known him since he was 17, he brought him up to help work at and ultimately run a gallery and art school. Um, he was here to like, to be here for like six weeks at a time and would go back to the ranch and would be back and forth. Aria describes this guy as
2: Mordecai's rich patron. He let Mordecai stay at the house that he was renting in a very wealthy part of Toronto called the Bridal Path. The bridal path is as exclusive as it gets. Prince lived there once, so did newspaper baron Conrad Black. Drake lives there now. The houses are massive, with tall hedges and big gates. It's not a neighborhood that's shy about its wealth.
3: I mean, I just think the way... the way we talked and the things we talked about, it just felt really meaningful. Like, we had a really easy banter they never argued. He was never rude.
2: He was a great listener. He said he loved her mind and he was sweet
3: and funny and playful. Like we just, there was never any defensiveness. And I guess from my history, um, as you can probably relate to that sort of like, When I needed to be vulnerable about my needs, he was never defensive or accusing or pushing back. It was always, he was always just very open and welcoming and supportive.
2: But there were little things. Things that when your brain is all foggy and silly from early infatuation, you ignore. But we know that doesn't last. And as things settle in, those things become harder to overlook.
3: So in terms of dating, like, I didn't see his place. I never got to see his place. That was starting to bug Arya, and then he lost his job. So even within the first few weeks of us dating, a story emerged that the patron was closing the art school, uh, had no more money to run the art school, um, so that was not happening anymore. And on top of losing his job, he was also losing his apartment, the
2: apartment she had never been allowed into. Apparently, the guy who was paying Mordecai's way
3: and supporting his art was $40,000 behind in rent. He said the landlord was, had locked up the house and that the patron couldn't get in to get anything until thirty dollars or $40,000 was paid. That meant Mordecai couldn't access any of his stuff, including his passport. The patron was... Not allowing him to have his passport, that he was holding it hostage.
2: This is so weird. Like I said, the bridal path is one of the most exclusive and expensive areas in all of Canada. I have never heard of anyone renting a place there. And if this patron, as Mordecai calls him, was so rich, why couldn't he come up with $40,000 in back rent? This whole thing didn't really sit well with me. And weirdly, my response was, which I've never had this, but another human being was, is this guy a con man? Uh, And then when the whole passport thing started, I was like, why isn't he going to the police? This is illegal. It's extortion. Tell me about that. You eventually
3: did sort of ask him to go to the police, right? I did. I did. I I told him, like, this is a crime that's being done to you and you need to involve the police. And I said, I'm sorry, he's your dearest old friend. But at a certain point, you need to take care of yourself. Um, So he did end up sending me pictures. Mordecai sent her
2: those pictures as proof that he'd reported the incident. And I've seen them. In one, Mordecai is in the back of the police car, the cop in the front. They're both looking at the camera, both with a big smile on their faces, almost like they're caught in mid-laugh, like they're sharing some kind of inside joke. Mordecai always had an answer. And he reassured her that this was just a small setback. He'd find a new place to live soon and a new job.
3: And he had lots of friends who were helping him out. My spidey senses were going off because, for example, he told me he was staying at a friend's house in North York, but then had moved down to Liberty Village or Parkdale. And so there was a lot of couch surfing. He told me he was moving into a loft by May 15th. But even by May 15th, he had excuses, like there were always excuses, like, oh, they painted and my asthma's triggered, I have to wait a week. One week turned into two, and then three, and then four weeks.
2: And as Arya tried to find out more about Mordecai, she grew more and more uncomfortable. When they started dating, Mordecai told her that he hated social media.
3: At the time, she found it endearing. Now it felt like a red flag. I feel like it's common practice with online dating now, at least with people I roll with. Like, you just Google people and you find out and gives you context and it lets you know who they are. And so when he didn't have that, I was at first really joking, like, oh, you have no digital footprint. Can I see your ID? And he just kind of laughed it off at first. Oh, I don't carry my wallet with me, which also for me, like, I'm a really high-functioning, fairly organized person. I want you to have an ID with you. I want you to have a bank card with you. I want you to be safe in the world. The tipping point for me was actually Googling the address of the ranch again in Shadow Hills, California. He was over one day and I said to him, hey, I can't go visit your place in LA, but why don't you give me a Google street view tour of your neighborhood and your place and he was like no I'd rather just bring you and I said yeah I know you would rather bring me but I really want to see it so why don't you like come over to my computer well and so we did that and I made a like I really carefully paid attention to the street address of the so-called ranch which he had sent me pictures of like extensively and him there and Um, later on that night, I googled it, because like I said, I was just feeling like things weren't just, weren't sitting right. I very quickly found a Twitter feed of the very same ranch on fire last January. So Aria texted Mordecai. She wanted to clear this up. And I should have called, but I was kind of beside myself and said... Uh, I just wanted to, this is a strange question to have to ask someone that you're dating, but just humor me. Was your house on fire in January? And he replied, well, yeah, remember I told you about the LA fires in 2017 and how we had to be evacuated. And remember I showed you the video of the LA fires and how traumatizing it was. And I said, oh no, I know. And I'm sorry to have to bring it up again, but this was this January, like five months ago. And he just, there was kind of a pause, and he replied, I don't want to talk about it. And that's when I thought, okay, this is a lot of lies. So Aria ended it. And she didn't date anyone for six months. He'd kind of gotten into my head because I thought we had a really good connection So even though with all the craziness, I still felt like something in that connection was real. And when she did start dating again, it just didn't feel the same. I wasn't getting any of that connection. Like I was meeting nice people, but there just seemed to be something missing. And so I reached out to him. There was a really bad snowfall in November, it was cold.
2: Over the six months that Arya had spent disconnected from Mordecai, she had begun to wonder, what if the reason that she had never seen his home was because he didn't have one?
3: And so actually, so on that really cold snowy day in November, middle of November, I thought, hmm, I wonder if he is homeless. And if he is homeless, I wonder if he's okay. Because for sure he was the first guy I dated who I'd never seen his place. Yeah. How did it feel to realize that he might have been homeless? Like Yeah, I think I mean I don't rem- remember exactly I think, yeah, more shocking than anything. Like it was just like this doesn't even seem possible. What I realized now in retrospect was don't ask a question unless you're ready for the answer. When
2: Arya told me that she was back in touch with Mordecai. I gave her that look, the one all good girlfriends give when they don't think their friends have made the best life choices. She promised me that she had no intention of getting back together with him. That's not what happened.
3: In that process, I started feeling that connection again, which became dangerous. Um, His capacity to communicate is pretty special, I guess. So over that cold and snowy November,
2: Mordecai and Arya began talking and texting again. He said she could ask him anything, and he'd tell her the truth. He was ready to come clean. These are the actual messages between the two of them.
1: Did you go to uni? Yep.
2: What did you study?
1: Philosophy and literary studies.
2: All his schooling had been in Canada, not at Stanford like he told her.
1: I've been experiencing micro-to-macro anger at myself.
3: I feel like I'm unraveling a blanket that was poorly knit and re-knitting it. How's that for an analogy?
1: Yeah, it's a good
2: one. He told Arya that in the last few months, he checked himself into a mental health facility in Toronto called CAMH, and he was better able to understand himself now. He
3: said that after we'd broken up in June, that he hit a downward spiral and he... Checked himself into Cam H?
1: Yeah, I asked if I was kind of a narcissist at Cam H. I'm not. But lying to protect myself or hide betrays others and is selfish. I've sort of decided the only way I can honor the connection between us is just to be open and vulnerable.
3: I'm curious why you were lying to me right out of the gate, though. About the ranch and your life. Why do you think you did that before anything?
1: For some reason, I feel insecure about my life and the things about it.
3: I think it was about a week in that he sent me his passport, a picture of his passport.
2: So his passport had never been held ransom by some angry landlord. But now Arya was discovering an even bigger lie. The passport did have a picture of Mordecai on it, but the name, the name read Mark Ramsden, not Mordecai Horowitz. And Mark Ramsden was Canadian. So Mordecai was actually Mark. Mark was Canadian, not American.
1: My dishonesty was described to me as habitual and a defense mechanism as opposed to compulsive, though it sometimes has felt like a reflex in certain spots. But the good news is bad habits can be broken. And the silver bullet that disarms me is when the gig is up, that habit and reflex seems to evaporate.
2: There was more. There was no ranch in California. Mark wasn't Jewish, or related to Adam Horowitz of the V.C. Boys. That kind of sucked. Oh, and he was also older than he told Aria. He wasn't thirty-seven. He was forty-eight. All this information was a lot to take in. At first, Aria was
3: overwhelmed. I told her to walk the fuck away. I still had a lot of questions that needed to get sorted out and like I wanted to see his place. Like I have these lists of criteria now that are really hard and fast, seeing someone's place, meeting their people. Those are c- kind of the main things, getting proof of employment, <laughs> whatever that looks your like. Your
2: last paycheck, your last paycheck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. please. Your
3: T4, <laughs> notice of assessment. Um. So those things were still in the air and I was very clear with him. About that, did you tell him
2: he thought he was homeless? Like, remember? Yeah. So, so, how did that go? What happened? Did he tell you he was?
3: Um, he never officially said either way. Like when I said to him, "Well, how long have you been living there?" Well, since September. Well, where were you before that? Um, well, just like staying at various places, like staying with this friend or that friend. Um. So homelessness wasn't ever named, but like thinking back that kind of description is is homelessness like you don't have a place where you leave your things so yeah but since he'd been to therapy things seemed more stable he told me he was living with a friend renting a room um he told me that he was trying to get work so all of a sudden i knew who he was like i knew his his Official identity, I knew his age. He also indicated that he had money from trading he'd done with his dad.
2: There were a few things that Mark had told her early on that he was still insisting were actually true. That included the fact that Mark was very wealthy, even at one point showing her a screenshot of a bank account with $6 million in it. He told her the money was tied up in investments and he didn't have access to it right then and there. But it was there. And he never did ask Aria for any money or to pay for things. So over the course of a few weeks, Aria grew more sympathetic.
3: He started telling me about his history living kind of all over the world in different ways through his childhood, his parents being separated or divorced. His mother had committed suicide due to addiction and mental health.
1: I grew up all over the place St. Louis, Texas, and L.A. early on Then in Spain Barcelona for about five years My dad is still there He was a brush maker, cosmetic and art Paris for a year
3: See, your real story is just as interesting as the BS
1: And boarding school in Lugano for a school year When 14, my parents broke up The moving around as a young one was part of my problem, I think Trying to fit in I miss you.
2: So with the same kindness that allowed my friend to overlook that Mark had deceived her about his appearance, she'd do that again. If he had cancer, she wouldn't turn her back on him. Why would she allow a mental health issue to push him away? But I also knew that getting back together with Mark was about more than just her kind nature. Mark was so different from our ex.
3: Oh, 100%. Like one of the things that brought me back to him, this is actually really important in terms of why I reconnected with him. So when he came clean and showed me his passport and we were just talking about what he had done to me and how I had felt. Like, first of all, he was fully open to hearing how I felt and my experience of the confusion and the anger and everything that had happened in round one. And he was so apologetic he was like, I am so sorry. I never meant to hurt you. That was so awful that I put you through that. That was really validating for me in a way that I hadn't experienced before. And so they started dating again. We would be in constant contact. And I know, as you know, with my parenting schedule, I'm not available every day of the week to get together. So you never introduce them to your daughter? No. Oh, no. Was that possibly happening? So it's funny because I started thinking about it. I started thinking, okay, we've now been dating six weeks, let's say at that point, And uh, the connection was strong. And um, I thought, okay, this might be the first guy I introduce her to. And Like, no plans were made, but we were talking about it. Like, we would talk about – because he was talking about the little kids moving from Montreal in the spring and, like, getting together. Like, we start like – and I was imagining, like, meeting their mom and, like, meeting them. And so I started writing an email to my daughter's dad. Like, literally was typing, like, there's something I want to tell you that there's a person I've met and I'm really excited about and I would like her to meet him. And I wrote that and then I looked at it and something didn't feel right because at that point I still hadn't met his people or seen his place. And I deleted the email.
2: But he had met her people. They'd been out to dinner with her sister and brother-in-law and they were talking about a date with me and my husband. Mark promised that she'd meet his family soon.
3: Like the thing with him is he spins it so that everything's on the horizon um and I think I told you about that last weekend we were together. We were supposed to have a meal with his aunt and uncle. That was going to be a really big deal for me and I really put a bookmark on that like if we do this, then we are moving forward. If it doesn't happen, we are not moving forward. Okay, so it's Sunday, January 19th. 19th, 9:38 p.m. What happens? I was trying to watch an episode of This Is Us, trying to unwind from the weekend. Kid in bed. And then there was a knock on the door. I opened the door. There's a woman standing there, pleasant-looking woman, but it's still Sunday night after 9 (laughs) p.m. It's like, what's going on? And she said, I think you know someone named Mordecai Horowitz? And I said... Oh, you better come in. Coming up on Do You Know Mordecai? He talked about we would come to visit him on the ranch. He had this idea and he would build us each a yurt. We corresponded for quite some time before he made a point of telling me, In fact, I'm sort of embarrassed to mention this to you, but I'm really wealthy. I have $50 million, and I can show you, like, he would send me screenshots.
2: These are situations which are complex and layered, and and it's not as straightforward. In this case, it's a fraud, and in this case, it's not.
3: Like, I'm actually wondering even what's the first thing I'm going to say. Like, I'm here to report what I believe was sexual abuse.
1: Do you think emailing him is the best way? I think it's better than cold calling.
2: I think so, too. I think we should give him a chance to know this is happening and to sort of absorb it a little bit. I just think it's more fair. So I'm going to... I'm nervous.
1: Really? Yeah. Well, kind of a lot rests on it, I guess.
2: This podcast was written and produced by me, Kathleen Goldhart, and Michelle Shepard. Our executive producer is Stuart Cox. Our associate producer is Alexis Green, with assistance from Abi Raheja and Danya Ali. Sound design and mixing by Mitchell Stewart. Our theme song is created by Quiet Type. This is a UCP Audio podcast in collaboration with Antica Productions. Our UCP Audio team includes Jessica Grimshaw, Jennifer Sears, Josh Block, and Amy Bell. For more information, go to our website at ucpaudio.com.
0: That was episode one of the USG podcast, Do You Mordechai? To hear the full series, you can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued